the Entrepreneurial Mindset Community. I'm your host, Ron Murphy. On today's podcast, we have Desmond Hayes, CEO and founder of GeoGreens. GeoGreens is an indoor hydroponic vertical farm focused on vegetables and leafy greens. They have a mentality of farming that they're extremely conscious on the amount of water that they use and recycle. And they're also very conscious of their indirect and direct carbon footprint. Desmond, thank you for joining us today on today's podcast. Desmond, can you discuss the process of uh, hydroponic farming and how you became interested in it? Yeah, of course. So hydroponic farming deals with uh, a soilless nutrient mix that provides, uh, you know, produce, vegetation, any type of crop grown, uh, you know, indoors. Now you have hydroponics and then you have indoor farming. So two different, two separate types of ideas, but hydroponics specifically refers to growing in soilless uh, media. Um, and again, going back to vegetables, uh, microgreens, leafy greens, um, some of the other crops out there that I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with, but we stick more so with um, you know, produce and providing to the community and going in that direction, um, specifically with food deserts and, and food insecure locations, you know, locations, you know, statewide that really don't see uh, a great product uh, from different areas um, for whatever reasons, whether whether it be, you know, just location, um, access, availability. So we try to fill that gap and provide it to the locations that, you know, desperately need it and, and, uh, and just try to get it out to them as soon as possible. Um, so some of the some of the advantages to growing hydroponically and growing indoors. Uh, so hydroponically, generally you get a um, a quicker turnaround time for the product, um, you know, go from one to two, three, four days or so, uh, depending on the farming operator and how they grow. Uh, it's extremely, uh, you know, more efficient for the the planet, uh, you know, in terms of water saving and, and water conservation, you know, because you have other conventional methods where, you know, you waste about 40% of the waters on your conventional outdoor farmland. So, Growing indoors um, and growing hydroponically the way that we do, we're able to recirculate a lot of the water that we use and, re and reuse it throughout the, the farming uh, operation as well. So those are just some of the benefits too. Now, growing indoors, um, one of the biggest things you know we get often asked is whether or not we're organic. But you know a lot of people a lot of people don't realize that you know, organic still has pesticides in it. Uh, so with the way that we grow again all indoors we don't have pests therefore we don't have to spray pesticides so that's a you know huge advantage for people that uh, are always looking for that tag or that label you know not to discourage people from going the organic route it is better than than the conventional uh, produce that you eat but it's not the the cleanest out there if you will and then uh, you know again just other things that you've got to incorporate or think about too growing indoors is uh, just the labor, the turnaround time, the efficiencies, a lot of things can be controlled and automated so that you don't have a whole lot of, um, you know, overhead or a whole lot of things going on to disrupt the model. It's just constant overflow, overflow, constant turnaround and getting the product out and starting it over and over again every single time. So, you know, it's it's a really, uh, really fun, really interesting, um, you know, um, career path that chose got to, to get into, you know, quite some time. Um, I started growing about eight years or so, eight, eight plus years or so ago. 
um, and, you know, just started to really develop, really like using the word passion, but really started to develop a, a huge, huge interest for it. Uh, so I had initially I had, you know, a stint or not a stint, but some time in construction uh, and that went well. But, you know, I just realized uh, I wanted to do more, leave more of basically like a legacy behind, you know, not to shade or not to say anything about construction. Um, you know, anybody, if they're trained right, can help build a building or uh, help build roadways. Again, they're trained right, but feeding people and helping people from that standpoint, for me, is much more fulfilling and gives more um, credence to what we're, we're trying to accomplish. So that's why I decided to go on that route. Um, coincidentally enough, uh, my phone gave me some reminders of what it looked like five, six years ago when I was growing in the hallway and started from that standpoint. And then you fast forward a few years later where unfortunately, you know, everyone under underwent the whole pandemic. That was a time where I saw was the opportunity. Um, sure. Not everybody would agree. We saw the opportunity to, to take that leap because, you know, I, I was realizing that instead of, constantly working for somebody else at that time. I put that same amount of time. We were all stuck at home, by the way, until GeoGreens and the company. I know I could make this thing work. And uh, surely enough and fortunately enough, was able to take that leap, find a location after several, several weeks of grinding and blood, sweat and tears, being able to get it up to a uh, working operation, basically. So, uh, you know, can you fast forward after the pandemic? Um, the mission has and continues to be to work with food deserts. But fortunately enough and graciously enough, we the, the, the brand and a product was able to expand. So from supplying just your local food pantries and um, some other you know local uh, soup kitchens, we were able to start selling to schools and universities and doing events with hospitals and other restaurants and other markets. So it, again, fortunately took a life on its own to the point where we ultimately needed to get more space because, again, we grow indoors. This isn't like, you know, we're growing on acres or hundreds of acres of land outdoors. So we had a, con a confined space, about 2,000 square feet, was producing about a ton of produce a month in there. But while that sounds like a lot, you know, after you start feeding that many miles, just one school or one school district alone, you know, that's taking all the product. Uh, so we needed to uh, scale up and find another location. And that's what we are in the process of doing right now, fortunately, hopefully relocating. I appreciate you sharing that. You talked about your kind of entrepreneurial inspiration. You know, you were, you were working in a job, you identified an opportunity, you identified a need that you saw within your community and, and the surrounding area. Can you talk a little bit more about how that kind of developed? I know your background, uh, just from us talking previously and uh, reading on the website, you know, you have a uh, engineering uh, background and how did you come about really identifying that? Was it one instance or was it just in talking through people, how did you develop that passion for growing, you know, indoors and trying to find uh, alternative ways to farming? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, my background is, you know, architecture, uh, engineering and environmental science. So the first two was me being uh, just being aggressive, uh, graduating college and knowing I need to get a job and start paying these loans and blah, blah, blah. 
The third one was, you know, acquiring that master's with a hunch, knowing that people were becoming more environmentally conscious, more conscious on what they were eating. So I had a fortunately a hunch that that industry was going to take, uh, you know, increase and have a great trajectory going on the next five, 10, 20 years or whatnot. And fortunately, I was right. So I, I continue to self-educate myself on environmental issues, things that were happening across the globe, things that I, I might be able to make a bigger impact on. And uh, I came across just different levels of sustainability, uh, tasks, different types of books. And again, just kept reading, kept reading, tech, taking classes. I took a class in California on recycled water, took a class over here in New Jersey on renewable energies, and nothing was really grabbing me, you know, grabbing my, my level of interest. And, you know, I started, again, just continued to read, came across um, something called sustainability goals and started to see the commonalities in those sustainability goals. And what I saw was, water conservation, deforestation, carbon footprint, and hunger. There's 16 goals, and, and however you want to look at it, they all, to some degree, some capacity, relate back to those things. So I started trying to decide, okay, what could I do to not attack every single one of those goals, but try to just make a dent in as many as I could. As many as I could. Came across architecture came across agriculture and you know, came across water conservation. And I put them all together and I came across or decided to reach in and, and get more ingratiated into hydroponics and vertical farming. And to me, those helped to, again, scratch the surface on each one of those items as much as I possibly can, as much as the GeoGreens possibly can. You know, again, it attacks every single one of them and I'm feeding the community and really helping towards a global issue, but you know, more specifically as it pertains to New Jersey, a statewide issue with you know the food deserts and whatnot. So I feel like I'm doing a a a pretty decent job and sticking to those those ideas and ideals and moving forward every day. Could you talk a little bit about the climate in, in the state of New Jersey, about how receptive they are to your process and to your product and things like that. And are there any challenges currently environmentally or legally that present itself in, in New Jersey? Well, in, Jer in New Jersey, but also, uh, you know, nationally and internationally, I mean, the, the idea of uh, indoor hydroponics or CEA, uh, Controlled Environmental uh, Agriculture is what you know, the acronym for it is. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of the mess are familiar with it, but really on a service level, uh, one dealing with cannabis and how that's become, you know, legal for the most part on different areas. Um, and then, you know, a lot of people are familiar with it on a hobbyist level. But when it comes to what we're doing and how we're doing it, um, it's it's not, you know, a, a widely known idea. It's really just, again, just scratching the surface. So there's a huge huge educational factor that comes with uh, what we do and how we're doing everything. And, you know, we take on the challenge. That's why we offer tours. That's why we want field trips. That's why we, you know, offer more agencies and more people to come so they actually can see and see the benefits of what we're actually doing. Um, 
fortunately enough, we work very closely with the NJEDA. We've been able to take advantage of several different, you know, financial opportunities and uh, and, and um, programs to help us continue to grow and uh, fill the location. Uh, other agencies uh, that we're working with as well are starting to jump on um, jump on a wagon and want to be a part of the hydroponic idea and the CEA industry. Um, a lot of people, a lot of agencies just don't know how to. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the bigger size companies just within the last year went bankrupt. Like six of the top 10, these are massive uh, indoor farms, went bankrupt. Now, for whatever reason, uh, that doesn't obviously point a, a great light on the smaller slash medium sized guys like myself, because now it makes it more difficult for us to raise capital and continue to scale up. So that's what I, I, I want to say is the biggest challenge right now. Every Almost every turn there's a challenge as an entrepreneur as you're growing your business. But I want to say the biggest challenge uh, and the longest challenge as of right now, in my experience, has just been raising capital, especially as a minority and especially as a young company, because, you know, you either have to, you know, have a lot of capital or born into a rich family you know, have a lot of, you know, collateral or, you know, have just, just an immense amount of sales, which, you know, really don't work for a young company. Um, I can speak first and forehand that I've talked to different investors, banks, CDFIs, and run into a lot of the same hurdles every single time, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, asked a question or asked to provide something and it's provided. And then there's another something else. There's another obstacle. Then that's provided. Then that's provided. Then that's provided. And it's just a constant roadblock. So it's almost as if certain financial institutions don't want to provide money unless they know it's a home run. It's a growing business. So it's hard to cross off every single thing on, 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 their, on their list or check every single uh, box on the list that they're looking for for a growing company. So I'd say that's that's the biggest you know hurdle for myself right now. Yeah, you talked a little bit too about um, you know getting started and 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 some of the challenges there. What what advice would you give to somebody you know just out of college or um, maybe just developing an interest in hydroponic farming in your area? What what advice would you give somebody um, on how to get started or 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 how to get ed educate themselves on um, on your field? I'm always encouraging, uh, you know, younger people and, and older people that want to get in the field. I'm approached by uh, different walks of life. Uh, I want to say at least twice a month about wanting to open their own farm or how can they get started and what do they need to do. And there's always uh, several things that you need to check off uh, and make sure you're aware of, um, you know, just, for example, knowing what you want to grow knowing who your demographic is, knowing who your audience, who you're selling to, how long does it take to grow? Uh, what are your going, what are, what are your cost of goods and expenses going to be if you're doing it indoors, if you're doing it in a greenhouse, or if you're doing it conventionally on a farm? All those, all those types of um, categories need to be factored into you wanting to, you know, really get into this field because you know, specifically as it relates to ours, you've seen that there's there's tech involved, there's automation involved, 
Uh, and all those things are nice. They're, they're modernized. They're uh, quote unquote sexy. People see those, those are great. But you mean me telling someone else, I let them know that you don't need all the bells and whistles. If you know that you're going to be still very active in the farm, then you don't need to you know, hire 30 different people or have different automations or different things in place, you know, equipment, if you're still going to be active in it. You don't need to have every layer of your farm uh, you know, driven by technology if you're going to be there. You know, that's one of the biggest things that a lot of farmers make mistakes on it. They try to put a lot of money into things that they don't really need to. And as a result, they don't really understand. They don't really get or understand the process of farming. They're wasting away money. And now they're uh, essentially, unless you have this money in your pocket in the bank, now you're even more in the red because you spend all this money up front versus putting it in places where you where you could have put it or efficiently kept it for later on. So that's that's my my biggest piece of advice for people that want to get into it. And then, you know, the second part of it, Ron, is that at the end of the day, I'm still a farmer. This is still farming. So there's going to be physical labor involved in this at some point in some fashion. Don't get into this field if you think everything is just going to be tech driven and you don't have to you know lift the muscle or anything like that you do still have to put the blood sweat and tears into this field because again it's farming it's only so much you're going to be able to make off a head of lettuce or some basil or tomatoes and so on and so forth so you have to have a, a good amount of product you have to know what you're doing all that r&d you have to be done so that once you open those doors you're growing it's going out you're growing is going out and then you're repeating that process and you're seeing those sales and everything come in because, you know, when it's when it's great and everything's flowing, you are the one that's receiving that, you know, that adulation and that all that congratulations and everything. But when it's bad and it's suffering, you have to put up with that as well. So my biggest piece of advice for people that are just trying to be entrepreneurs is this isn't a fad. There's a lot of trends and fads that are constantly happening, social media all the time, everywhere, where you see people nowadays, I want to say over the last two years, oh, I want to have my own business. I want to have my own. I want to do this. That's great. I'm always encouraging that. But this isn't a fad where you can come in and, and grind for a week and think everything is going to be fine afterwards. If you're opening your own business, you're doing this yourself, you're putting your savings and I don't know, 401k and pension, all these things into it. If it goes down the toilet, everything goes down the toilet and it's on you. So you want to make sure that you're 100% vested in going into this entrepreneur direction because once you're in it, you're really in it. That's so true. I mean, people don't see that part of the entrepreneur. You know, you see the newspaper articles, you see the magazines, you see social media posts and stuff like that. And most of that stuff is the positive. It's the trials and tribulations, you know, what's underneath the iceberg type of thing that, that goes into it. And to your point, you got to take the good and the bad, you know, and you got to learn from the bad, keeping yourself, you know, like you were saying, you know, there, there are days where you feel like you're being rewarded for your hard work, but there's also days where it just feels overwhelming. But again, you just keep that level mindset and you keep that, you know, eye towards the future and eye towards what your goal is. That's kind of what keeps you going. Yeah, I've heard um I've heard different different things. I've tried to pull motivation and pull energy from everything I possibly in to keep going. And I've 
I've, you know, heard one of the best things. You have to work hard to be lucky. Like you have to work hard to be in the right position with some of these things. Giving yourself that opportunity. It's all preparation, right? It's like if you if you're not prepared for that opportunity when it comes and you haven't put in the work for that opportunity, uh, but prior to the opportunity, then, you know, you, you may, you may miss it or you might not be able to, uh, you know, seize it, uh, and take advantage of it when it comes around. So, and then it's, the, and then it's just the, uh, the, the one other thing I, and I just heard this probably like two weeks or so ago. And this, this one has stuck with me real good. It, I've heard it, a gentleman say, you know, you think, you know, the, the price of working hard is, is high wait until you get that bill for regrets so now i'm like okay i gotta keep going because i don't I, I'm, I'm knee deep in this now and I, I wanted to do this so again i'm not looking backwards i'm going to continue to look forward because i don't want to you know obviously regret anything that i'm doing with geogreen so i'm constantly pushing and pushing for that that's really inspiring and you know people talk about purpose and having a purpose now you've started, you're working towards your purpose and that's what drives you every single day. You know, you talk about, you can hear from what you're saying, um, the research you've put in, the work you've put in, you know, you've, you've, you've gone to different avenues for funding and, and learned from all different sources and that that's what it takes. And I don't, I don't know that everybody always sees that part of the entrepreneurial path is, is how much goes into it. And, uh, and when you do finally, you know, deliver on your product and you do find that customer base and you're starting to roll with it, you know, that's that's not just an overnight thing. That's an accumulation of a lot of long uh, days, a lot of a lot of a lot of hours, a lot of work that come into it. And um, that's that's really inspiring, Desmond. Thank you for sharing that. In terms of your your facility, just to kind of switch gears a little bit. Can you just kind of take us through a day uh, of yours in the facility? You know, um, you know, you talk about some things are automated but you know there's a lot of uh manual work that goes into it as well can you just kind of take us through your process on a, on a normal day yeah i was going to say i'd be doing a disservice by saying today I'll, I'll take you on a on a week journey so again because of uh you know how things are set up and you know we had every you know instrumentation equipment you know installed it doesn't our our facility doesn't require a heavy amount of manpower in there day to day to day uh throughout the first half of the week nobody is there because I don't, there's no need for me to hire people to watch plants grow so i'm there essentially you know just making sure there's no leaks uh the plants are being fed and and the way that that works is basically we're growing vertically we're they're, they're built on stacks so essentially water is being pumped up to the top and it trickles back down to the pump and constantly recirculates within these trays. Plants are growing in these, you know, basically oversized uh, uh, trays. Uh, so the water constantly circulates within that water, there's nutrients. So as long as the plants are getting that amount of nutrients, as long as the LED lights are on, uh, as long as the environment is conducive to the plant growing, which means the airflow is, is sufficient, the um, uh, humidity is at the correct levels, uh, the cooling and heating is working to where it needs to be, then again, there's no need for manpower to be there just to watch the plants grow. So I'm there again for the first half of the week, simply just making sure all that's working the way it should be and following up with customers and making sure deliveries are getting there when they need to or pickups are happening when they're supposed to. 
So that's essentially the the first you know half of the week in a nutshell. Not a whole lot happening there. Um, and then the latter part of the week, after the plants have been in their position uh, for a few weeks or so, uh, my staff comes in and harvests, harvests, clean, and then basically reseed or uh, sow new plants into those uh, trays again. So the last portion of the week is when everything essentially gets a little bit more busy. But again, for the way that I have the uh, facility uh, being run, extremely efficient, extremely tight, you know, it's myself. Uh, I brought in interns in the past from high school and college, one or two interns. Um, volunteers have been welcome to come in again to, to teach and let them see. Um, and I've had volunteers come in for a day. I've had volunteers coming for a whole summer. They started out just wanting to come in a few days, then they felt it more therapeutic. They felt it where they can kind of get away. So they ended up coming in several days a week and helping out on the volunteer level. Uh, then we also partner with the, um, the community and hiring uh, you know, people that you know, uh, were, had a formerly incarcerated background, trained them, vetted them out, brought them in, and they gave them a job too. So they came in again the later part of the week as well. So. In the first part of the week, not a whole lot happening in terms of uh, within the farm because, you know, everything's automated. The lights come in on, on and off when they need to. That's automated. And everything that happens within the farm comes right back to my phone or comes right back to my iPad. So somebody's moving when they don't need to be. Uh, again, just somebody that doesn't need to be in the facility. I get to see it. I see, I see it on my camera. Uh, if the levels within the facility are off, that comes back to my phone and I can adjust that as needed too. So again, I don't need, I don't really need to be there as well. I'm just there to make sure that everything is running as it needs to be. And then I'll, I'll dart off to uh, you know, a meeting or new clients or a customer and so forth, make sure everything's going the way it needs to. So, you know, that's, that's really, I'm very much oversimplifying it in a nutshell, but that's really the task throughout the course of the week. First half is really me there, make sure everything is, uh, you know, quality control. Second half is when it gets busy, harvesting, cleaning, and re getting ready up for the, the, the subsequent week after that. Yeah, there are a couple points um, that I, I drew kind of parallels with Murphy's Markets. You know, you talk a little bit about, you know, uh, community, uh, and, and the ecosystem basically that you've involved yourself with. I mean, it truly is an ecosystem. You get, uh, especially with the farming community, obviously, um, the scientific part of it too, but just the human aspect of it, you know, you're involving people from the community, you're giving people jobs, you're giving people opportunities, and then you're giving back to the community. You're identifying needs in, in areas, uh, in, in your, in your state and in your municipality that, um, you know, need to be met and things like that. So, uh, really inspiring stuff. Um, can you just talk briefly about, uh, any growth plans that you guys have with, uh, with GeoGreens and your facility itself? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's several things that are happening, you know, as we speak right now. Um, again, I mentioned early on that we've become great partners with, uh, NJEDA, New Jersey Economic Development Authority. Um, so we're working with them on a roundtable discussion that we're going to be having virtually next year, early next year, to essentially develop a, 
a caucus, if you will, or um, team or board of people that'll be um, uh, industry leaders within this field and be a part of it, you know, nationally. Uh, so that's happening right now. Um, working on an innovation center uh, with a college uh, that'll be focused on indoor growing NCEA as well. So looking to have that out there over the next year or so. Uh, and then um, working with different our different partners and clients that we've had or customers, excuse me, and building out very small modular, um, you know, pre prefabricated type systems. No, it's not, not prefabricated, fabricated systems that we're building and we're designing in their uh, facility. We've built one with the lab in a school. We're building another one in our uh, partners at an autistic uh, development uh, building. Uh, and then GeoGreen is our location. We're building for everybody, but we got to get ours uh, scaled up too. Uh, so now we're in the process of potentially uh, relocating our facility to a larger facility in South Jersey, uh, where we're going to go from one ton of produce to upwards of around four to five tons of produce or so. Still sticking with the same you know, distributors, same clients, but you know, just scaling up because you know, again, going back to the, the many miles that we've been feeding, you know, we just we need to be able to produce more product. So those are the things that are, are on the horizon, hopefully to be able to take uh, take place uh, scattered throughout next year or so. Where can our listeners reach uh, GeoGreens? How can they engage with GeoGreens and uh, and your business? Oh yeah, sure. I mean, I'm I take random calls or take random emails, but uh, they can find uh, all the information on our website, uh, geogreens.org. We're always vested in LinkedIn for different co contexts, different uh, things that are happening within the industry. And obviously, we're, we will be uh, on Meta or slash Facebook and Instagram too under GeoGreens. So anybody, um, I'm very well, uh, very easily accessible uh, for questions or just uh, just some feedback or some levels of expertise that I can offer them within reason. I don't give all my secrets away, but within reason, just talking to just the, the general public and letting them know, obviously, what we do and, and offering people to, to come by and, and check us out. Desmond, thanks so much for taking the time to discuss today on the podcast. That's all the time we have today for the Entrepreneurial Mindset Community. I'm your host, Ron Murphy. Join us next week for another interesting podcast. Thanks for having me, Ron. Take it easy, bud. Oh, 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 oh,